Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by our friends at Y Charts. Michael, another chart that I've been looking at a lot over the last 18 to 24 months, U.S. unemployment rate. One of my favorite things about Y Charts is back in the day, we had to figure out how to add the little gray lines with recessions whenever we made oh, a chart. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. It's hard. The first time I did that, I felt like a wizard. It's really hard to do it. I have to Google it every time. So Y Charts just does it for you. You can add in the recession charts. This is the U.S. unemployment rate going back to the late 1940s. And we're going to talk a lot about the labor market on today's show. I still contend that spike and then fall back to earth, basically another round trip in the unemployment rate, it still defies logic looking at it. Now, I posted this on Twitter last week and said as much after we had a strong jobs report last week. And the funny thing is, is that you always get a lot of responses from people saying, well, it's obvious why it happened now. But that hindsight is so easy that no one ever could have predicted that you would have seen something like this in the moment, regardless of how much money the government was going to spend. People in the future are going to look at this in economic textbooks and go, what? Does this I don't get it. an asterisk, these charts? So you know how when the Lakers won the title in the bubble? I don't know if there's officially an asterisk, but in my mind, there's a little bit of one. Yeah, that sounds like a Knicks bias to me, but anyway. <laughs> LeBron bias. <laughs> these lines are never going away. They're going to yes. be on these charts for the rest of the time. It is going to be one of those things where we constantly look back at these and go, what was that? Anyway, if you want to check out these charts and more, go to whitetrust.com, tell them Animal Spirits sent you. 20% off that initial subscription when you sign up. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. On Monday morning, I think it was Monday morning, one of the mornings, I woke up then to a flurry of media requests from outlets such as CNBC, New York Post, Hollywood Reporter. And I'm like, wait, what in the world is going on? Not to brag. Not to brag. They all wanted to talk about my prediction that Jeff Bezos would return to Amazon. Now, when I included this in my list, as I've told the audience at this point, this was a Ben Carlson idea, which is hilarious. You gave me a 10% start on this. So I think what happened was we were talking about Bob Iger coming back and we were trying to brainstorm who else could come back. And you had said Amazon is down 50%. It's in a huge drawdown. And I made the case, okay, stock price down, CEO comes back. And I said, Bezos is going to come back too, just throwing it out there. And you looked at it and said, wait a minute, he's only like 57. And we both thought this could be a real thing. Okay. So it's a collaboration. You got the ball rolling, but yeah. But I called you like right away and I was like, dude, this is hilarious because <laughs> if this does come to pass... I'm going to be the guy on TV, the man who said Jeff Bezos comes back to Amazon. Here's what he says next. And we always make fun of that because it's like just the dumbest thing ever. Forget about all the times that you were wrong. Just this person said one thing that happened. Here's what. Okay. So anyway, there was a lot of articles. I'm going to be the Winklevoss twins here and you're going to be Zuck. You're going to get Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a lot of articles that came out that morning. And the headline to one of them, this is from MarketWatch, the chef's kiss and all this. because This is perfect. It's perfect. Because we make fun of these headlines. We spent a lot of time laughing about this. So this headline for the article about me, this analyst who forecasts a double-digit drop in stocks for 2022 (laughs) now says Jeff Bezos may return to helm Amazon. 
So in my 2022 prediction list, I did say that the market was going to drop double digits. Again, I said a lot of things that didn't happen, but they said this, and that's even how I was introduced on TV, and it's just too much. The year is young, but this is going to be one of my favorite things of the year. I just love how it says this analyst, and this is why people make so many predictions, because... Yeah, I got to dial it up. I think I need 10 a week. If you <laughs> Michael's 10 <laughs> predictions of the week. If you can get one to stick like this, though, you're in it. But this is why people spend so much time predicting the future, even though it's unpredictable. I mean, this really and truly shows why people do it. You're exactly right. There's so much upside. There's so much upside with the attention and the eyeballs, and there's very little downside. And no one pays attention to any of the predictions you get wrong. I mean, sometimes no. people throw it in our faces, but for the most part, people immediately forget the predictions you got wrong. But if you got one right, you are set for a while. Think about how many people lived off of 2008 for so long and they basically got lucky. People are still doing it. All right, so visual capitalists did a poll. Well, they quoted me. And then they said, will Bezos return to Amazon in 2023? 45% of people said yes. It's not that far-fetched. And later, I don't know if it was over the weekend, but at some point in time, I'm sharing with you and Josh some of the coverage. I'm just dying. So New York Post headline, Amazon workers joke about Jeff Bezos come back amid Andy Jassy layoffs. By the way, this ends with Bezos coming back and Jassy suing me for $10 billion. Business Insider did a post that I can't see because it's behind the paywall. Employees reportedly discussed a possibility on an internal message board dedicated to the subject of layoffs on Thursday, the same day that Jassy cited economic uncertainty while detailing plans to submit. Okay, here's a quote from one employee. Apparently, not even Andy is safe. So I had a friend who reached out to me who does work at Amazon and said, dude, you caused a big storm. I got a lot of people asking me, who is this guy? Do you remember in Ocean's 12 when Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck got sent down to like the production company of the Dice in Mexico and they ended up starting a riot in the warehouse because the workers <laughs> wanted higher wages? That's like what you're going to cause here with your prediction, I think, is there's going to be like Amazon strikes or something because Bezos is coming back. I watched your CNBC hit and they're asking you all this stuff about Andy Jassy and the cloud and the operating stuff. You could go through line by line, I'm sure, in the fundamentals and make a good or bad case for it. But the only case really is Amazon stock is down 50%. And when the stock price goes down a lot, there's going to be people who are pushing for a move. That's the point that I wish if I had a mulligan, I would have said, you know, what? it doesn't matter if Jassy is at fault or not. That's not really relevant. What's relevant is the stock is getting killed, even relative to a lot of its competitors. Steve Ballmer at Microsoft had amazing fundamental performance and the stock was terrible and they eventually got rid of him. Yeah, sometimes people get canned for reasons that are just not fair. That's the way the world works. Later that week, Amazon did announce that they're doing uh, 18,000 layoffs. We'll get into that a little bit later. But there was some news that Stitch Fix founder, Katrina Lake, who left the company last year, she's coming back. This might be building momentum. Our other jokes, what did we say? Steve Jobs is going to come back to Apple. <laughs> Thomas Jobs, Edison yeah. coming back to GE. <laughs> I might be the only person who still uses Stitch Fix as a product. I still like it. So I hope Amazon or someone buys them. I actually bought that stock based on her appearance on Invest Like the Best with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. And then I sold the stock when she quit, which I think I basically round tripped before it fell like 90%. That stock is down, what, 97% from the highs? It's one of those ones. It's one of those. But I want to talk about something that we discussed with Derek Thompson. We did a podcast with him last week, and we were talking about... Yes, check it out. That's plain English. I think that was one of our better ones we've done with him. We've done three or four with him. Credit to us. Yeah, it was, was good. basically a review of 2022 and then a look ahead to 2023 for markets in the economy. And so we were doing a lot of, well, I could see this and then I could see that and just going back and forth because there are a lot of conflicting signals. There always are, but especially now. And Derek basically said, listen, enough of this. Pick a side. He held your feet to the fire. Yeah. Fires. And I said, no recession. And I can't believe that I said that. And then Ben and Derek also said no recession. Now, listen, 
this is not a prediction that we want plastered on the headlines if we get it right type of thing. Analyst who predicted Bezos is coming <laughs> back to Amazon predicts no recession in 2023. Okay, so just think about it this way. If inflation peaked, unemployment remains low and maybe picks up moderately, and the wage inflation is behind us, I don't know, doesn't that kind of sound like a soft landing? Like the definition of now, you could say, well, what about the PMI data, which is a really solid leading indicator, which looks terrible. And what about all of the announced cuts? Here's what I am saying. Just the fact that it's even possible is remarkable considering where general sentiment towards the Fed and the economy was, call it six months ago. It seemed completely inevitable. Think about March when the war happened and inflation spiked immediately, gas prices went up. If you would have asked me then, could we have a soft landing? I would have said, no way. There's not a chance. And the fact that we are having that, my whole reasoning was, I am shocked by the continuing strength of the labor market and the fact that people keep getting raises if they change jobs and the unemployment rate remains low and there's still a lot of worker shortage, it seems like. Eddie Elfenbein said, this is the lowest peacetime unemployment in 75 years. This one from Dom White, this is interesting. He counted up the construction sector. Nine months into the housing recession, the construction sector is still adding jobs. That shows how understaffed they were, the fact that they're still adding people. That's my whole thing is that the labor market is so strong. Unless the Fed puts rates to 7% and just really puts the screws into the economy, it seems like the possibility of a soft landing is way higher than at any time over the last year or so. So in terms of the strength of the labor market, I really do think people are thrown off by the tech layoffs, which are the biggest companies. We'll get to that later. I think that's like throwing people off a little bit. But housing, where's the 30 year down to? Like 6162? I think housing, assuming that rates stay here, which maybe they will, maybe they won't. But assuming they do, housing activity is going to pick up in a hurry. Prices will be lower. But that's one of the big worries is that, well, housing is already in a depression and that's going to spill over to the real economy. Yeah, probably would have, but not if rates stay where they are right now. The whole narrative was the reason the Fed can't raise rates is because the economy cannot handle it. There's no way the economy can handle higher rates. That's a good point. I'm just as surprised as anyone else. I'm surprised that the slowdown in housing that's been caused and all the stuff that the Fed hasn't broken anything yet. And if you put some truth serum into them, Jack Ryan style, I'm sure they would say the same thing, that they're probably surprised they haven't broken anything yet with rates going that high that fast. Let me hold your feet to the fire. If all you know is that we avoided recession this year, do stocks go up a lot, down, nowhere? What are your thoughts? If we have no recession this year, I would say probably double digit increase in stocks. But the other thing is, is are we pushing off a recession until next year? Because if 60% of the economists say there's a recession chance this year, and it, we just muddle through like we've been doing, then it's going to be 90% next year or something. And people are just going to keep pushing that back. You'd have to see something where inflation would have to drop a lot. And then the unemployment rates still stay relatively low for me to think, okay, we're kind of out of the woods here, at least for this crisis. So I would think that just base case, stocks would have a double digit rally, given how positioning is and sentiment and all that sort of stuff. And people could play catch up real fast. You could also convince me that, well, stocks are just getting re-rated to higher rates, right? If there's no recession, why does the Fed need to raise rates? You could also convince me that fears of a recession will not diminish. People will only like become more steadfast in the belief that we will have a recession next year. So you might be right. Instead of people saying, okay, we got through it, they might just double down on just wait. It's actually a 2024 story. I wanted to get into this a little later, but the 10 years back down to 3.5%. Wow. What was its high? Was it 4.2, I think, 4.3. The bond market does not believe inflation is here to stay. And doesn't it seem like the Fed and the bond market 
are basically trying to figure out who blinks first. It seems like the market is probably usually right in these things. If you had to pick one, who's more wrong, the bond market or the Fed right now? <laughs> the Fed's probably more wrong. And they're going to eventually have to relent and either stop or cut if inflation falls back to 3%. The Fed's probably going to have to cut or at least stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, if inflation falls to three and they're still at four and a quarter or 450, wherever they are. So here's the other thing we've been talking about. Well, if inflation falls, and that means probably earnings have to fall too, because prices will come down. Sorry, I stole this from someone on Twitter. Can't remember who posted this, but it's showing earnings downs and stocks up. This is showing a little scatter plot here. This seems like a trip that you would make potentially. So look at all the times where earnings were down double digits in some cases, and stocks were still up double digits. 1991, Earnings fell 25% and stocks were up 25%. 2009, is that one makes sense. 1975, if you look at this, a lot of these, 2020, a lot of these are times after a bear market where earnings fell and the stock market took off. The stock market already fell. Earnings haven't fallen yet. 2023 could be the same thing where earnings fall 10, 15% because prices are coming in and things are slowing down a little bit and stocks take off still because they've already discounted it. Could be. That's probably the thing that some people aren't taking into account. A lot of people think if A, then B. So if earnings fall, stocks have to fall. It doesn't necessarily work like that. Well, so let me ask you this. So on Friday, we got the jobs data, strong labor market most of the time. Well, in this environment, that would mean stocks get killed because the Fed still has to go. However, wage growth, which is the thing that the Fed is focused on, is rolling over materially, came in below expectations and the stock market ripped. So what's the bear case right now? Like in the immediate term? Is it we're coming into earnings season and earnings just the bed? Q4 earnings? Possible. But what else? What else do bears got? Well, I guess it's just the Fed. The Fed's saying, we don't care. We are going to wait. But the market is pricing in, what, 25 basis point now in February and in March? I guess. They're not going to surprise the market and go bigger than that, I don't think. A lot of people have asked us, after that last month when we had that really strong inflation print and stocks ripped, remember the day we were filming Animal Spirits and then they rolled over and then stocks kind of had a little minor correction from there? A lot of people are asking, like, why did the stock market roll over again there? Nothing else really happened. They were saying that like they were talking tough. There was hawkish rhetoric. It just has to be some sort of combination of recession fears, the Fed making a big mistake and staying too long, and earnings falling. I guess that's your bear case. All right, let's talk about, where's this chart from, Ben? The share of fixed income indices yielding 4% or more. Monovator posted this on Twitter. Good English blogger. Share of fixed income indices yielding 4% or more, 1999 to 2022. And you can see from the 90s to really the 2008, 2009 crisis. There's no yield. Well, no, I'm saying- Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Until then, there was yield. And then since then, there was no yield. I still could be talked to either way into that 10, 12-year period of no yields being like this aberration versus just going back there or close to, maybe not that low, but close to that level. I could be talked into either one. Not impossible. The other question that I have is, fixed income really does compete with bonds. This is not tinfoil hat. This is very obvious. It's basic. When people are allocating money, they think they have two broad buckets, and of course, there are others, but you it's mean stocks fixed and bonds. can compete with stocks. You said fixed income can compete with bonds. I'm sorry. In a world where you can get risk-free returns, it makes going elsewhere relatively less attractive, obviously. The funny thing is that relative attractiveness, it didn't really stop people in the past. It makes a bigger deal now that rates were so low. Yes, it does. In the 80s and 90s, you could get six, seven, eight, nine percent on treasuries. But you never could have gotten zero. And that's the difference. So I'm saying back then, people still took risk. 
when now you'd think a lot of people would say, if I can get 7% in treasuries, I'm taking zero risk. Give me those treasuries. Back then, people still took risk but because they were more used to those high rates. If rates stay at 4% for the next decade, you can have another bubble. Of course you can, because people will get used to 4%. Yes. It's just the baseline. Yeah, the relative attractiveness has a lot to do with it. One of my 10 predictions for 2023 was international stocks outperforming. I can't remember if we covered this. Did I include the chart showing that the S&P 500 was one of the worst performing indices around the world? I don't think so. Well, it was. It really was. Well, I looked at this for my asset allocation quilt. Small caps outperformed it, mid caps, international stocks. This is the first time in a long time that value stocks outperformed by a lot that the large cap growth wasn't one of the best performers for stock market in terms of the big, broad parts of the stock market. To supplement this, State Street had a really terrific chart showing U.S. stocks minus the rest of the world, and they looked at rolling 12-month performance. On a rolling 12-month basis, U.S. stocks have outperformed or had outperformed international stocks for 55 consecutive periods, which is the longest streak going back to this started in 93, this data set. And that ended. That just ended earlier in the year. Wow. That's a long crazy. time. I mean, for 12-month rolling periods, even in a period of US dominance, you'd think international would have some sort of snapback. Has not happened. All right. Cool chart from Sam Rowe. I've never seen this. This is from Goldman. Shows the net income contribution by sector from 1975 to 2022. And it's interesting. The financial one is crazy because that goes from 25% to zero in the blink of an eye. I wonder how correlated this is to the market cap weights. I'm sure it ebbs and flows. Well, he says, at the peak of the tech bubble, information tech never generated more than 14% of earnings for the S&P 500. Now it accounts for 21%. Be interesting if tech overcorrects, which it appears that it might be, where it becomes like underrepresented relative to its net income. Yeah, that's true. And energy. Look at energy. Energy is 11% of net income, and it's not even close to 11% of the market cap. In 2022? I mean, look at how much bigger energy was in the 1980s. It was almost 30%. And now it makes up 4% of the total index in terms of weight. Just a cool chart. Now, you asked for bearish potential catalysts. If you were a historian of markets, you would say, look at how inverted the yield curve is. I put the treasury yields in. This is as of Monday. Six-month yield is 4.8 versus a 10-year of 3.5. Three-month T-bills are 4.6 versus 3.5 for the 10-year. That's a huge, huge inversion. Now, Cam Harvey, who, has he been on the compounded friends before? Yes. We were talking about the inverted yield curve in 2019, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. Very sharp guy. He basically came up with the yield curve indicator, I think, for his PhD dissertation or something like that. And he says, I don't think that you can trust it this time, which is really crazy because I think he said since he came up with it, it's, it's eight like for nine eight. For nine? Predicting recessions, eight for eight. Huge credit to him. The intellectual discipline or flexibility to say my indicator is not going to work for X, Y, and Z. Good for him. Analyst whose recession indicator is eight for eight (laughs) predicts it does not work. He said his whole thing is the labor market, basically. It's so strong. All the weird stuff that's been going on. He said when you put it all together, it suggests we could dodge a bullet, avoiding the hard landing and realizing slow growth or minor negative growth. If recession arrives, it would be mild. He's actually saying, I don't think I can trust it this time, which again, credit to him. Yeah, that's great. What about Fed intervention, forward guidance? Fed intervention was a thing back in the day, but not to the extent that it is now. They're such a big player. So I think that, yeah, listen, things change. We've spoke about that a million times. The rules change, the game changes. If you wanted to predict a time when it 
might not work, this would be the time that, yeah, the Fed has gone so aggressive on their rate hikes and they were intervening in all of these interest rate markets for so long that maybe they just are really screwed up right now. There's a chart from Bank of America showing that the lower income households are still seeing much faster spending growth than upper income relative to 2019 based on card spending over holiday shopping season. What do we make of this? Are there any macro implications to this? I think the implications are if you give people some money and give them a taste of what it's like to spend, it's going to be hard to wean them off of that. The low income people have seen the biggest increase ramp up in their income. And so they also spent a lot. So they're spending more than they did because they had higher incomes. So even if those incomes stagnate or fall or whatever in the coming years, it's going to be hard to get people to stop spending that much money because you raise up to that new level and luxuries become necessities or whatever. What I meant by that is, are there macro implications in the sense that I would guess that the bottom, I don't know, 40%, whatever it is, can they move the needle? in terms of spending, or is it a relative drop in the bucket? What we've seen is that if you give people a lower on the income scale money, if the government does, they'll spend it and it can juice the economy. Whereas if you give money to and tax breaks to rich people, they're probably just going to save it. Good point. Yeah, maybe that's it. I was talking with Josh about this on TCAF, just how much Eat the Rich has bled over into pop culture with White Lotus. And succession. Succession. Did you watch the menu? That's exactly what I was going with. I watched a movie over the weekend, and this was not satire in the way that those were, but I watched Nanny, which was a pretty good one on Amazon about a nanny that comes over from Senegal, and she takes care of one daughter, rich parents in a gigantic apartment, and they're not paying her appropriately, they're not paying her overtime, and it's like, what the hell is going... I mean, anyway, that is certainly part of Fleishman the deal these days. Trouble had a lot to do with that spending culture and... You're right. Again, rich people are just not seen as cool anymore. There was a time period when they were. Now rich people are openly mocked in pop culture. Well, I do wonder how long before people's appetite for that sort of shtick is exhausted because I'm almost there. I don't know. I still like it. It's kind of like how Russia is the go-to bad guy in every CIA spy show, mostly because Hollywood is scared of making fun of China and having China be the enemy. But I feel like Russia is just the perfect setup for the enemy. Rich people are the perfect one to mock, especially with inequality where it is. And I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. No, I don't think so. All right. The Wall Street Journal had a piece on beer sales dropping because consumers are balking at higher prices. This is from Constellation Chief Executive Bill Newlands told analysts last week, the consumer is overly sensitive to pricing actions. Because I guess beer prices rose 7% from one year to the next, from Christmas to Christmas. And people are saying, we're not going to spend it anymore. This is one of the reasons that we're not in the 70s. In the 70s, the whole idea was it became a reinforcing cycle of, okay, prices are rising. Now we have to keep spending because prices are going to rise in the future. This time around, people are finally putting their foot down and saying, no, we're not going to spend anymore. Your elephant, whatever IPA, that's now $15.99 for a four-pack, we're not going to spend that anymore. Well, also, there's so much choice within beers and spirits or whatever. That could be part of it, too. I said last week that I was going to have a dry January. What I meant was 2023 or 2024, <laughs> excuse me. We went out to dinner on Thursday. It's very hard to go to dinner and not have a drink. So I had a drink on Thursday. We went out for a birthday party over the weekend. Of course, I indulged and I'm going to Minnesota on Friday, no, Saturday. And believe you me, I will be drinking 
How about this? At the game. I'm anti dry January because I think this is like Ben preaching influencer guy again. Have more moderation in your life instead of trying to go cold turkey for one month. It's not going to do anything for you. Figure out moderation in your life. My eating has been pristine. I've been eating very clean, not to brag. No junk, no soda, no nonsense. So wait, go back to the game thing. You're going to the game because an Animal Spirits listener. That's not true. Let me set it up for the story. Okay. I'm not going to the game because of an Animal Spirits listener, but I'll get to that in a second. I'm going to the game because I love the Giants, and I've been waiting to go to a road game for way too long. The last game that I went to was in 2011 in Green Bay when we won, and that was one of the greatest moments of my life, or experiences, I should say. So I decided, my friend and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, Here's the deal. I'm not going to San Francisco, which seemed likely at the point. First of all, we're going to lose, and I don't want to fly all the way across the country to lose. It's too long. The fight, I just didn't want to do it. And obviously, the only place that we could possibly go to, there's a 0% chance that I would have gone to Philly for reasons that are obvious to sports fans. Minnesota was the most desirable location. And so a lot of things had to break our way for that to happen, and they did. And on Saturday, flights were... 400 bucks, which I used points for. And I said, you know what? I could always change flights. My friend's like, well, what if we play Saturday in the early slot? Well, I'll change my flight. So I booked it for Saturday. And guess what the flights are now? 700 bucks immediately after the Giants to Minnesota was wrapped up. That's the one thing that has not come down yet is airline prices. Airline prices are so high still. Prices shot up immediately. I also use points for the hotel. So it's not going to be a big expense out of pocket. And then I got an email from Luke in Minnesota yesterday morning. And this is just tremendous. This guy's got great seats that he was putting on StubHub, but as a thank you for whatever, our podcast. For all of your great predictions over the years. (laughs) For all of my great, yeah, for all my alpha, he said that he would be willing to give them to me for face value. So Luke, you're an angel. I mean, seriously, this is tremendous. Thank you so, 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 so much. That's what you call a mensch, right? That is a mensch move right there. That's pretty fun. So I'm quite excited about that. That's why you start a podcast. You get perks like this. Matthew Klein on the disinflationary labor market. Total weekly wages paid to employees, the number of workers on a payroll times the average work week times the average hourly pay is rising at a rate of less than 4% a year. This is a dramatic deceleration from when it was close to 8% from March to September. And so there it is. That's it. But so wages are, you mentioned they're rolling over, but it's interesting. He said the number of people quitting rose in November so much so that the proportion of workers quitting their jobs for better prospects elsewhere, rolls for the first time since the spring. That started to roll over, people still doing that. That just shows how much legs this labor market has, that people are still quitting for better opportunities. I wonder if a lot of it is people trying to get ahead of, they assume a recession is coming, and like, I better do this now. Now is the opportunity to either negotiate or find a better job or better wages or whatever it is. Again, it just comes back to people think there's going to be a recession because so many people think there's going to be a recession. I really do think that there's I hate to use the word gaslighting here, but I don't know what else to use. I really think that people are being swayed by headlines, by Amazon laying people off, by Salesforce laying people off. If you just saw the data, like if you really did ignore the noise and you were just looking at all you had to see was the data, would you be afraid that a recession was coming? The only reason why you would think a recession is coming maybe is because things couldn't possibly be better. We're at the end of a cycle, which again, it's fair. Look how strong the market is. Look how strong the retail spending is. Where is the inflation data today? It's not there. That's like if you look at my historical thing has been, I think I showed this in my first book, that the annualized return by unemployment rate, if it's below 4%, it's like the lowest returns, which makes sense because that's when things are probably the best. 
But the stock market has already discounted the fact that that might happen. <laughs> We're like ahead of that already. Very confusing. By the way, it is. Tuesday, 9.55, S&P is flat. Did we get a Santa Claus rally? We did. No. What? No, we did. We did. We 100% did. It's the last five days of the year and the first two days of the new year. And yes, we did. Okay. You didn't see Ryan's tweet, Ryan Dietrich? I feel like we're moving the goalposts on the Santa Claus rally thing. It was in the Discord channel. And no, 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 no. Hold on. I have to set you straight. There are no goalposts that are moving. The Santa Claus rally, by definition, asked Jeff Hirsch, Stock Traders Almanac, last five days of the year. I need a judge's ruling on this. I'm telling you. He is the judge, jury, the and technicians are making this up, though. They're making this up. No, it's not. Stop it. Stop embarrassing yourself. It's the last five days of the year and the first two days of the new year. My gut feeling on the Santa okay. Claus rally is we have an awesome December. And December was down big time. So I'm saying no Santa Claus rally. You're moving the goalposts because Santa does not come in December. He comes the last five days. This is interesting. Goldman predicts no European recession. I thought that was a foregone conclusion. And I won't even pretend to know what's going on over there. But I thought that everybody thought that. So I think every piece of data or analysis or headline in the markets, there's bound to be a contrarian these days because there's so many opinions. You could find a bullish or bearish contrarian opinion on any piece of data these days. They're showing, this is from Axios, European benchmark national gas prices are down 80% from their August peak. They basically completely round-tripped. There wasn't one person saying, no, actually, natural gas prices in Europe are going to fall. And <laughs> even we said, it's possible the US maybe skirts a recession and, or just has a be mild recession. Literally everyone said, but Europe is F'd with a capital F. They are done. They're going into recession. Goldman can't predict the future any better than anyone else. But if people are even talking about Europe skirting a recession, there would have been no way anyone would have thought that was possible in the spring or summer. No chance in hell. And the fact that the natural gas prices have come down. Remember, people were talking about Europeans are going to have to light their houses on fire to stay warm this winter. You could do the hindsight bias thing and say, well, it's warmer than we thought. And this happened and this happened and that happened. But this is one of those things that there was not one person saying this stuff's going to come back in. No way. That's fair. So layoffs, which is now a category in our Google Doc. I think it has been actually for a while. We haven't made it official. Well, we had another one this morning. Did you put Coinbase in here? Yeah, I did. You told Derek that our rule on Animal Spirits is if there is a round number, expect another layout to come. And Coinbase has now done three rounds probably. It's just a rule. We don't make the rules. Alex Cantrow tweeted, Amazon cuts in perspective. So they employ 1.8 million people. A lot of that is warehouse. They have a 300,000 person corporate workforce. So this is around a 6% cut for that. Probably not. Well, I don't want to say probably anything. Who knows what Amazon does. But to Ben's point, Salesforce laid off 10% of their staff and cut office space. Hard and fast rule. You can take this to the bank. Salesforce will do another round of layoffs. 10%. It's only where it starts. So Coinbase, and it's the details that happened just before we came on the show, but Coinbase announced layoffs and the stock popped bigly on the news and is now giving some of that back. But Carl Cotinia tweeted, in 2022, tech companies laid off more than 150,000 workers. Technology remains in a recession. Technology didn't really even go into a recession in COVID. They were the first ones to come out of that just fine. And they are the first ones to go into a recession this time around. This is the point that a good rule of thumb that the winners of the last cycle are not going to be the winners in the next cycle. Maybe tech turns it around and the Fed brings rates back down and everything's fine in a couple of years, but it doesn't seem like tech's just going to go back to the way it was. And I wonder, tech is bound to have another boom in the decade ahead. There's just too much going on there to stop that. Do you think any of these CEOs learn their lesson and don't overhear next time? Or is this just something yes. that will happen every time? You never forget this. Maybe new ones do, but the current round will never forget this. All right, let's talk about crypto. 
Mark Rubenstein, who has a great Substack called Net Interest, did a little thing about them. I'm talking about Silvergate. I need to explain it to Ben like he's a five-year-old. Explain me Silvergate to me. I see it in the headlines. I honestly don't know what they do. Silvergate is the biggest bank for crypto institutions. That's all. Got it? And there are no crypto institutions left, so they're out of business? Well, yeah, it's not good. So they were one of the biggest winners alongside the crypto boom. I don't know what the stock was up, but it was up a ton. So the market cap peaked at around $6 billion, and it's now down to $374 million, which is a 94% decline. So Mark says, at the end of September, well, it's definitely worse now, wow, crypto deposits were 90% of the bank's overall deposit base, amounted to $11.9 billion. The bank announced this week that they are down to $3.8 billion. And what happened was they needed to sell bonds at a massive loss. So they took a $718 million loss on their bond holdings. And again, they own cash and I guess they put the cash to work in short-term bonds and whatever. And they take a massive, massive hit on that. One analyst said on a call, I want to just say congratulations. I don't think that there are many banks that could say a 70% decline in deposits and come out of it with no operational liquidity issues. Maybe there will be, but this is a big story in crypto. I don't know if it's like the central bank of crypto because I know there's no central bank, but it is where all of the institutions bank. I suppose it makes sense that if crypto is in a winter right now, every company that's involved in crypto is going to get hammered too? Yes. Charlie Gasparino tweeted, prosecutors are telling lawyers connected to SBF fraud investigation. The case is so sprawling that it could exhaust resources of the Southern District since it includes potential bribery, campaign contribution violations, market manipulation on top of theft and fraud. Throw the book at him and send him to jail for life. Wow. Scoop from Ava Morrison, EDNY and the SEC are investigating Digital Currency Group and subsidiary Genesis. There was a lot of smoke around here. I don't know if we spoke about Cameron and Tyler going after Barry Silbert at DCG. It is kind of funny that the open letters now happen on Twitter. If there's something happening in crypto, it's going to happen on Twitter first, it seems like. Genesis was the biggest source of leverage and lending in crypto. So a lot of the earned products, specifically Gemini, came from Genesis. You deposited money at Gemini or crypto. Gemini loaned it to Genesis for a spread. Genesis loaned it out to others for a bigger spread. And Genesis's counterparties blew up. Genesis blew up the money. There's $900 million in Gemini earned products that are stuck on the platform. And obviously, they're going to war over this. And simultaneously, another DCG property, Grayscale, which is really the crown jewel as far as I know, which was trading at a 50% discount. The discount seems to be bottoming. And there was a massive rally yesterday. I saw some story. There's some guy that's trying to buy up a lot of it to I guess, unlock the value converted to an ETF or do something to change the bylaws. I don't really know what the story is there, but that's going on too. Did I just say bylaws? Pretty sure I made that up, but... It's not a good at the time. <laughs> Maybe the biggest thing with crypto is that the reason that financial markets are so resilient is because you have your debt markets over here and your equity markets over here. And they don't intertwine that often. Where crypto, everything is intertwined. The whole reason the South Sea bubble happened back in the day is because they tied the debt instruments to the stock price, or they did like a stock swap for the bonds. And I feel like when you intermingle the stocks and bonds together and try to have them be one thing, like crypto has done, where you have the earned products be tied to the price of the crypto, which is essentially the equity in some way, that's just probably never going to work. And can I just say, well, two things. Despite all the smoke and the noise, and definitely there's fire, it looks pretty good. Just talking technicals, if you don't know anything that's going on, and especially if you know what's going on, it should make you more bullish. You mean what's looking good, Bitcoin? Bitcoin's looking better, but specifically ETH. Bitcoin's still above 17,000. It's just, it's I'm saying like, don't you dare trade on this, but ETH 
looks like it could break out very quickly. From a technical perspective. It's just price. It's just math. It's just facts. No opinions. Did crypto have a Santa Claus rally? I guess it did. Venture capital investments in crypto startups hit a tier low in the fourth quarter, which is the least surprising thing ever. According to a new report from Galaxy, crypto startups totaled less than $3 billion on fewer than 400 deals in the fourth quarter, the lowest for both measures since the fourth quarter of 2020. Guess what? That sounds like a lot of money. $3 billion and 400 deals? Yeah, that is a lot of money. The one thing that people say, this happens in a lot of the tech busts is, okay, it's back to building. The prices are off the table. It's back to building. <laughs> I would love that to be the case in crypto where something actually useful is built for once. That'd be nice to come out of this is like, okay, back to building. It's time to start real companies. It's like, then actually start one. Hey, they're building. All right. Be patient. Let's talk about real estate. Ben, my neighbor, it's finally, he's coming to his senses. He just dropped the price by 25000 Prices still doesn't make sense, but let's see. That is a 4% cut. Eh, it's probably not going to do it, but it's at 650 down from a really stupid price of 725 So, all right, down 10%. That's not even close to enough. Can you sort by price cut on Zillow? I don't know. I think I've tried to do it in the past, and I don't know if it's an option. It certainly should be. My wife and I were looking at Zillow the other day, for some reason, scrolling for a house that's by ours. And I'd say three out of every five houses that was listed had a price cut right below it like this. If you were in the position where you do not have to be in a house for the next six, 12 months or you have some time to be patient, I would pick every house with a price cut. I'd lowball them even further. And I'd put 10 bids in because one of those houses is going to be desperate enough to get out of it and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't wait. We need to get out of it for whatever reason. We need to sell. The buyer finally has some upper hand. That's a good strategy. By the way, I'm making the case tonight on what are your thoughts for Josh. Zillow is my stock, which I do own. And technically- Breaking out? This looks like it's ready to run. Yeah, they got a double upgrade from Bank of America yesterday. You sound like you're becoming more bullish from a technical perspective here. (laughs) Everything's looking good technically to you. Well, listen, I'm just saying there's a lot of noise out there. So let's just keep it simple. What are buyers and sellers doing? So follow price. Listen, it's a market of buyers and sellers, and then there's more buyers and sellers. That's all I'm trying to say. All right, John Wake, who is a new follow to me, but does some good stuff on real estate, said, based on county sales data, not just MLS sales, I don't, really don't know what the distinction is there, but it sounds like it matters. Probably just includes for sale by owner and that sort of thing. That wouldn't show up on MLS. Real estate expert Ben Carlson says. Yep. <laughs> that was good. Resale median sales price was $420,000, down 3.3% from December 2021. Newly built median sale price was $521,000, up 17% from December 2021. That's crazy. What he's saying is that new home sales now represent over 29% of the market. This is the highest market share since 2008. And this is in Phoenix. I don't know if this is in Phoenix. So the next chart is in Phoenix. Okay. But remember, we talked about this. The biggest case for the housing market to roll over price-wise would be the fact that new home sales represent most of the market clearing prices. That's messing with median sales, existing sales prices. It's making them relatively less attractive. Because a lot of the new homes are probably higher end and more expensive. That would be interesting. You mentioned Phoenix. There's a great chart. And this is probably directionally what the country looks like. He has prices January through December for 2019 down here. 2020 a little higher, 2021 a lot higher, 2022 a lot higher. The jump in home prices, which I know we've discussed at nauseum, this is a great visual, no? Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you can see it finally coming in too. Yeah, so mortgage rates, here they are. 30-year down to 6.14%. Listen, if we get under six, or even at six, that's big. People see the five handle on there. I do think that's going to be psychologically important for a lot of people to be like, all right, we've been waiting for a while. 
prices have come in a little bit. I'm sure, especially in some places where there's been a lot of activity, you could probably find 10, 15% and mortgage rates come down. You say, all right, we're getting it at a 5.75% mortgage. We'll be able to refinance that in three years, hopefully. Let's but do even it. if you can, that's my first mortgage was five and a half, maybe. And I felt pretty good about it. Prices are still much higher, though. That is definitely true. All right. So, Chat GBT creator, so OpenAI is in talks to take a $10 billion investment from Microsoft. And guess what? I didn't know, or maybe I didn't know when I forgot, because I think I read a book about this. I read a book about AI like two years ago, and I think I just forgot. Elon Musk is the co-founder of OpenAI with Sam Altman. Didn't know that. What was that book that I read? Doesn't matter. I have many leather-bound books. I'm embarrassed that I just did that, but hang on a sec. Whatever. Whatever. The point is that this is kind of interesting, no? This is big news. It's the kind of thing that the valuation for this thing has to be ridiculously high or nothing. There's no middle ground. It has to be a really life-altering company or it's just like Diet Google or something. I think the AI stuff that people have shown already, it, it is pretty amazing. Is it the kind of thing where in 20 years, though, we just look at it like Google? Or I think my best case would be, if I'm taking a movie reference, if I had Scarlett Johansson in my ear as my like daily assistant, and that's what this is someday, where I say, take all 400 of my emails from this person in the last 10 years, sort them, and like give tasks to them. Is that the best case scenario for this, where you have your own personal assistant in your ear? Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I really do feel like this stuff is inevitable, especially because guess what? It's here. When you were like poo-pooing it a little bit, are you not impressed with what it can already do? It's never going to be worse than it is today. I wasn't poo-pooing it in the sense that it's not going to be something big. I just said, I'm not going to use it until it's useful to me personally. I'm not ready to be like one of the people who signs up day one and says, let's test this baby out and help them. Well, because you're not an early adopter and really neither am I, but it's fine. But that's not relevant for what we're talking about here. My best case would be if I had my little personal assistant in my AirPods and I would say, take the last 25 recessions going back to 1700, sort them by GDP decline and look for the stock. Like that's the personal assistant that I want. You don't know what the best case scenario is because we just don't know. Here's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing minority report like zoo. <laughs> well, the worst case scenario is that they implant chips in our head and we're living in a simulation and they're controlling everything like puppet masters. So this is going to be another part of the cultural lexicon. I was speaking about rich people earlier. It's going to be like, remember when Skynet took over the world? That's what's happening now. It's going to be the attack of the robots. I could put this in my recommendations, but James Cameron was on SmartList. And that guy, he probably doesn't get enough credit for how, I mean, obviously he's created some of the biggest yes, movies in history. He sounds to me like a tech CEO more than a movie maker. He is so brilliant. He did a whole spiel on AI because he came up with Terminator on his own. He talked about AI. He talked about all of this stuff. I'm not going to be able to summarize what he said, but it's totally worth a listen. And that guy, to me, is as brilliant as any of the big tech CEOs. I've never heard an interview with him, really, besides like talking about Titanic or whatever. Brilliant, brilliant guy. He talked about like the R&D budget they have for Avatar, how they create all this stuff and how they basically trademark the different ways that they can create these characters and stuff. They asked him like an AI question. They said, why couldn't you just using your AI technology or whatever, create movie characters? You don't need to have actors anymore. And he said, that's not the way we do it. They put the suits on the actors. And they have the little ping pong balls on them. He's like, it works better that way if you have the actual actors. He's like, we could do that but it's still not going to be as good as using an actual person. So the way he explained this? that as an AI is really good. In 2075, Tom Cruise will star in Mission Impossible 37. Could be. They'll bring him back from the dead. He might be alive. Hopefully they do a cocktail too as well. On Friday night, I went to the movies. Robin goes, what are you seeing? I said, 
Megan. She goes, what's that? I showed it to her. She goes, are you seriously doing this? <laughs> Do you ever bring your wife to the movies or is it always just you solo? Have you ever brought her once? <laughs> what were we watching? Oh, the other day I was watching the menu and she like came in late as she always does. And she sits down and she's like, hey, why aren't I watching this with you? I said, I begged you to come to the movies with me. That was like five weeks ago. Remember, I begged you to come. to. Well, anyway, the answer is no, she doesn't. But I ask almost every single time. Well, that's not true. You went and saw the menu at the theater? I ask a lot. No, no, no. I wanted to. Oh, okay. I was watching. It was on HBO Max. So to answer your question, the last time we saw a movie together might have been Gone Girl. That's how long it's been. But she won't come. So anyway, so she said, you're seriously doing this? So I said, I, well, I, heard, I heard it was good. This is my type of movie. And the best part, it was only 90 minutes. So Megan is like Chucky, but the doll's a little girl and she becomes all knowing and all powerful and... Allison Williams is a star. And guess what? Great movie. It's my type of movie. But it was genuinely a good movie. Genuinely good. It was me and three other tweens in the theater. <laughs> I was home before Robin could even know that I was gone. So I'm not going to see that one. You might. When it comes out, you might see it. I don't want to spoil it for anyone like I did with... What was the other horror movie that you made me see? With Justin Long? I still claim I didn't spoil that what was one. What the name of that movie? Barbarian. You totally spoiled Barbarian. Anything else you want to get into here before we... Yeah, I do. So we're coming to earnings, as I said. So check out quarter if you're inclined to look at earnings. We've got financials this week. So it's about to get busy to us. We'll save this one for next time. All right. So we got a lot of feedback from people after you said last week, you're going to get in shape. You're going to diet better. You're going to exercise more. And friend of the show, Phil Perman, on his Substack Prime Cuts said it's never too late. And he showed a picture of himself on his 40th birthday. Look at this guy. his 55th birthday. Look at this beautiful man. It is, really is never too late to reinvent yourself. My mom did this. She had three kids growing up. She worked night shift. She was a nurse. She would work like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And she'd sleep during the day and be awake when we got home. So she like didn't have any time for herself, basically. It was all kids. And when we all went away to college, I remember my mom finally started going to exercise classes and working out. And she probably lost like 30 pounds. Wow. In her late 50s, probably. So truly is never too late. And you're not even 40 yet. No. And listen, I don't want to spoil it, but somebody reached out to me who might change my life. We'll see. We had some offers for some workout companies. But I also want to say, just while we mentioned Phil, I love Phil. He is the person that convinced me to start really writing and introduce you and I to each other, I think. Did he bring us together? Phil's the man. So Phil has changed my life. I love that man. Okay, so speaking of maybe personal health and whatever, whatever, I've been sleeping a lot later now that I am not going to the city five days a week. And this morning, Robin called me because Robin is out of the house at like 5.30. Robin called me as she does to make sure I'm up. And I look at my phone. I'm like, oh, shit. It was 8.10. Jeez. Can you believe that? It was 8.10. Have the kids missed school? So I had to drive them because they sleep forever. Actually, that's not true. Kobe gets up at like mm, usually 10 to 7. But Logan will sleep till 9.30 if I don't wake him. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Which is incredible. So I drove him to school today. So the other day, I went to Kobe's class for time capsule day. You basically put a lot of stuff in the envelope and you give it to them on their 18th birthday. And it was a flashback of anxiety for me because Kobe goes to the same elementary school that I went to. And I went to the auditorium and there's like a lot of parents in there. And I just don't like being in that social setting where there's just like a lot of people. I don't know, not my thing. But as we went into the classroom, I was like, holy moly, kindergarten is so much different today than it was, well, I guess 30 plus years ago when we went there. When we went there, it was all, it looked like Matilda. Remember Miss Trunchbull? Miss Honeypot, I can't remember her name. It was all just 
blackboards and very not welcoming and not warm at all. There's 30 iPads plugged in. There's whiteboards. There's colors. and Playstations. And yeah, there's all sorts of stuff to do. We never had that. We just had desks. Just very sterile, not a welcoming environment. But in this thing, there was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Kobe said an artist. And Kobe's, he's that sort of character. I don't think he's necessarily a sports kid. He likes to do arts and crafts and stuff like that. He's a creative. And the kid next to us said, I want to be rich. And I thought, I don't know, this poor kid, but he's five. That is tough. The only explanation for that are his parents. Kobe just found out what money was, which is not good or bad, but like, I don't know, that's kind of rough. They wouldn't know what it means to want to be rich. Yeah, if I said, Kobe, what's rich? Not that Kobe's special. Most five-year-olds, what's rich? I don't know how many of them would know. Is that a New York thing or is that just the way of the world kind of thing? I don't think so. Ben, last week we spoke about Robin's mentioning of her getting a Tahoe, which might or might not happen. We'll see. By the way, prices are outrageous. I reached out to my car broker and come on, it's ludicrous. So I said, well, how the heck did we pack? Like, where did everyone go? And somebody reminded us, the station wagon. And guess what? This picture, that was me. I had one of these station wagons. My mom drove one of these Volvos back in the day. I do remember the trunk in all station wagons had the seat that faced backwards. Which was incredibly exciting and also very disorienting. Yes, it was. But there's no way that's still safe these days. Oh, no. All right. Random question. Very random. I don't know why I thought of this. But I was playing rock, paper, scissor with Kobe. Why does paper beat rock? It's a good question. My kids love playing rock, paper, scissor, too. They do it every single night to see who goes in the bath first. They play each other, and then they always complain about the results. It doesn't make sense. Probably should be something else. All right. Somebody tweeted, and some people say the movies are dying. It's the 2023 movie slate. I guess this is the point. It's all sequels. This is a travesty, for the most part. The only one I really care about is the new Mission Impossible. There's two more that they're doing. What about Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer and Dune, I'll see. John Wick? Eh, maybe Indiana Jones. The other one's- Oh, Scream. I'm obviously seeing Scream in the theater. Creed? Ugh. You don't like Creed? I'm not excited about any of these. I watched Creed 1. I liked it. Creed 2, I didn't do because... I'm very excited for Ant-Man. Okay. I'm definitely taking Koba to see Super Mario's. He loves that. And guess what? My kids will see I'm that. I'm going to say right now, Super Mario's will be the first good video game movie that's ever been done. That will probably be huge. All right. So I watched the menu this weekend as well, just like you. I thought for an hour or so, it was a great take on foodie culture. It reminded me of me and you going to that Michelin star restaurant and being like oh. totally out of place. <laughs> I was kind of bored by the first 40 minutes. It was just satirical. And then the movie got really twisted and dark at the end. And I thought it went a little too far. I didn't care for the second half of the movie. We're on the exact other side. I only liked the second half. Okay. So I liked the dark comedy aspect. I thought the rest of it was so twisted and weird. And I didn't really care about any of the characters. And it just didn't do it for me. I tried watching Tar. I can't see that being a Michael Batnick movie. Holy moly. That's like an Oscar movie that's a film, not a movie. I gave it 25 minutes, and yeah, she was great, Kate Blanchett, whatever. Well, now I don't want to dismiss it, but like, come on. That movie was completely made for the Academy. It is unwatchable in my eyes. People have different tastes, but in my eyes, it was just very pretentious. I had no idea. It was nothing but words, and I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> People were just talking. I texted my friend who's in the movie industry, and I said, hey, does anything happen, or am I good to turn this off? He said, turn it off. I don't really care to see that one. We started Jack Ryan season three, and I couldn't even remember what happened on the first two seasons. It's just kind of an entertaining, shut your mind off kind of show. We watched one episode and I thought, am I really going to do this again with the CAA stuff? It didn't really like draw me in. And then you start watching more and every single episode gets better. And the thing that Oppenheimer should take the most credit for 
is creating plots for movies. Because if he never created the nuclear bomb, there'd be no good plots for movies for people trying to blow up the world. So of course, there's a nuclear bomb in this movie. They kind of nailed the Russians' ambitions for taking back the USSR or whatever and going back to what things used to be. And the season is really, really good and it gets better with every episode. I'm still in with Jack Ryan season three. One more. I watched the change up because you sent me a clip of Jason Bateman in the boardroom scene there. It's essentially a body swap between Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds, two of my favorite comedy actors. And it's Jason Bateman playing Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Reynolds playing Jason Bateman. And the movie would never get made today because it's so raunchy and well, over the also top. Also, the one that's on Amazon is the unrated version. And you're right. That would never. It would never get made today. And I love raunchy comedies like that. Just that movie slays me every time. I love that movie. It's so funny. And it's so dumb, but it's so funny. There's a movie coming out. I saw this tweet. It's called Plane Movie. It's with Gerard that Butler. skewered pretty bad online, just for the name. I feel like they're doing this as a joke. It's kind of like snakes on a plane. It's like a very... It's marketing. Is it meta? I don't know. Yeah. It's very self-aware, this plane movie. Come on. I do love Gerard Butler, but I'm probably out on this. We spoke last week about what a terrible genre vampire movies are, and there's a new one coming out called Renfield. The guy, actually, the guy from The Menu plays Dracula's... Nicholas Holt. Yeah, I like that. It was another meta movie that was like very self-aware. It looked like it. And Dracula is played by none other than Nicolas Cage. I'm not seeing this movie. I love Nicolas Cage. I'm going to watch it. Oh, interesting. I think I'll actually watch that movie. A few people have asked us about the new Madoff series. I'm out. I feel like I saw De Niro become Bernie Madoff, which was just such a... I couldn't really make it through the De Niro one. I read a book or two on Madoff and did some research. I really didn't need to see the Hollywood version of it. Well, actually, I do believe that it's a doc. It's one of those doc with actors. That's like lifetime nonsense. I don't like that. Netflix has this thing now. They did this for the college admissions scandal one. And I was with my family this weekend and my dad said, so I'm watching the Madoff series and we were talking about the Madoff stuff back and forth. And he said, crypto is basically like Bernie Madoff, right? Bullish. If you want to know about the sentiment around crypto right now. And I said, well, FTX is kind of like Madoff, but not crypto itself. That's sentiment right now for crypto. Just in case you were wondering. Any other final words? No, you didn't change your email address yet, so it's still animalspiritspod at gmail.com. That's right. Thank you for the emails. Thank you, Luke. I love you. We'll see you next time.